0: You know, we had, um, we used to do a little bit more worship in the front part. And we found what was happening was people in the beginning of the service were really responding to worship and really getting into it. And then it was time to stop for the word. And it kind of felt like we kept cutting off, like, you know, we kept cutting it off. Um, and yet, you gotta, you know what I'm saying? We got to come to the word too. And so we decided let's not, let's not cut it off. Let's just put it all together. Um, let's put it all together at the end, and I, I think um, we didn't communicate that. So I think we didn't have it at the front end. So in the back end, everyone's like, well, it's only going to be a couple songs. Do I really want to get undone? And I'm like, yeah, you want to get undone because we actually have more time. So I don't know if you've seen this, but we actually have more time at the end to respond to the word, more time at the end um, to respond in worship. And so I just want to encourage you um, at the end of the sermon, whether you're coming forward for prayer or not, you're welcome to come forward here and begin to press in and worship. How many of you know, like, there's something that happens in a room when people begin to forget about who's next to them and what they have next to do, and they just begin to press into God in his presence, and they just give him the place that he's worthy of? Just something shifts in the room um, that's really transforming. You know what I'm saying? The manifest power of God comes in a way um, that's very different. And so I just want to encourage you, we've done that so we can actually press in more in worship. Um, because what we found was if, if we pressed in at the beginning, it kind of got cut off. At the end, then, it was almost like, then it people didn't go back into worship, almost like we kind of already have been there. So we thought, let's put it all together, because we really do value the presence of God more than anything else. And that's the highest value in this house. More than schedule, more than all that kind of stuff. So we try to figure out, How can we work it out so that we can really press in? And so um, that's what we've gone to. So I want to encourage you at the end, um, when I finish preaching, we will have time. We will have time to press in and worship and time to um, put our focus on him. How many of you know um, you can carry all kinds of heavy loads, but once your focus goes to Jesus, everything gets light? That's the truth of it. So we want to take time um, and give him the place the place of honor in the house that happens in worship. Um, I have a, a word today. It's 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 a um, simple word. It's a simple word. I um, there were two verses that I really felt like God had in my heart, and they don't seem to go very well together except for what He was speaking to me. It wasn't something I would naturally have put together from Corinthians, then from Jeremiah. Um, but there's a simple word I think God has for us in the house, and so I put those things together and I began to build it out like you would a sermon. I felt God was like, nope. I just want to simply say this, (laughs) super simple, like, don't, you know, you can go different places with it, but just, this is what I want to say, this is what I really feel like, so I feel like this specifically is a word for us as a congregation, but I feel like for some of you, um, this is something he's speaking that's going to resonate deeply within you. Um, There's a word of freedom in it, or there's a word of direction in it, um, a word of clarification in it, but I feel like he has a really simple word for us in the house today, so can we just start just by just by talking to him. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you for your word. It's life. It's life to us, Lord. It reveals who you are. And we desperately need that revelation. So, Father, I just pray you'd give us ears to hear. You'd give us eyes to see. We wouldn't be stiff-necked and proud. We wouldn't be blind to what you're doing, or deaf to what you're doing from distraction or whatever else. Um, the things that, that um, keep us from hearing. Father, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, give us hearts that are set on you, give us the capacity to be set on you this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Um, if, if there was a title for the sermon, it would be Beholding. We're going to talk about uh, Beholding just, just simply today, um, but I want to start with the picture. Um, that I think most of us can probably relate to. Um, My mom, when I was in second grade, so that means Shanna was in third grade, Craig would have been in junior high, um, she decided we are all gonna start piano lessons, all three of us together at the same time. (laughs) She's laughing. Um, So now one child starting a new instrument in the house is rough, right? But you have three kids all different ages starting piano at the same time, you know, dun 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 dun, uh, you know. Um, how many of you have had people learning an instrument in your house before? It's jarring. It's not pleasant. Like you hear recordings of orchestras and symphonies and you, it's beautiful and it's hard to believe this is the beginning for all of that, like it just is hard. It's just hard to imagine, right? So all three of us were taking piano lessons at the same time, and so we'd have to do our half hour, you know, if if we couldn't get her to forget. Um, So every day, you go back to the piano for half an hour, you put on the metronome. You try to play in time with that, all the wrong keys, right? So so this would be like an hour and a half of the day of this plunking and plotting out, Craig and I lasted for like a year. Did you go longer than a year? Craig went for two. Um, I was out after a year, and here's why. Uh, because I did not practice. Um, and when I would go to the piano, i just kind of plunk out. I didn't. I didn't take it seriously. I was in second grade, I didn't care. And um, when we would go weekly to our lesson, the lady, Mrs. Lowe, who did our lesson, <laughs> um, she had like, I don't know, 10 pianos in her basement there's 10 students on these 10 pianos and one of the 10 students was playing really badly everything wrong because they didn't practice Um, but I don't know it in second grade no one had told me fake it till you make it but I knew this is so I would be like I would be playing with so much confidence that she'd be looking for like which piano is making that sound and she didn't know it was me for a long time because I was like I was playing like I knew every and my mom would be over there just laughing because she knows it's me. <laughs> she knew it was me. <laughs> but yeah, I looked so confident about it. She, yeah. Anyway, that's um, so why I lasted for you. After a year, after that first you know, school year, um, my mom talked to Mrs. Lowe and said, do you think maybe she just should wait until she's older? And Mrs. Lowe did not argue like at all. She was like, that's a great idea. Like. Aren't you so glad Shanna kept with it? Aren't you so glad Shanna kept with it? And That's the thing with lessons, music lessons, piano lessons, that parents know like you'll be so thankful. My mom would say this to me, don't quit, you'll be so thankful and don't you know, I wish today that I could play piano, but I I lasted for a year and that was it. So piano, piano. Parents put up with all of that noise neighbors put up with all of that noise, and the kids go back day after day, practice after practice, and plunk out these keys, and you can barely even make out a melody, right? And yet parents know what kids don't know, right? Child, you don't know what I know, but you're going to be thankful one day that I made you stick it out until you could play the melody, right? Someday you'll be thankful that you have this gift, right? Someday you'll be thankful. We're so thankful Shannon stuck it out. We're so thankful you have this gift, but kids can't see that at the time. And it seems like a waste of time. Certainly for my second grade self, it something like a waste of time because it sounded terrible no matter what I did, right? Um, and I didn't know these songs. Most of you, most of us in the room, we know some of the beginner songs now because we've lived some life, right? So, are you sleeping? Are you sleeping, brother John? Right? You guys know this one? Brother, and St. Greta didn't know that, so I'm just playing, I can't even discern a melody because I didn't know the song. you know what I'm saying? I couldn't discern the melody because I didn't have any talent in playing. I hadn't accrued that, right? And I, I didn't know the song. Now as a parent, when my kids are learning a lesson, I know the songs they're playing. And I feel like, man, I know something you don't know. I know the melody. And even though it was rough, it wasn't as rough as yesterday. Today I could hear more of the melody than I could hear yesterday. Right? Because I know the song. And you're getting there. You're, it's coming. It still sounds terrible to you. But you'll be thankful. And the only way that you master the melody is you keep practicing. And with every day of practice it does get a little bit better even when it's not discernible to you. Who's the one learning? And then just when you get the melody, whoo! I'm finally playing something that sounds like a song. Now they introduce the left hand, <laughs> right? Oh no, I've gotta to try to think of what both hands are doing. And it sounded so good for a minute and so you added the complexity of the left hand and now you're back to, it feels like square one. Sounds like a mess. But once you've learned the left hand, you recognize how to play melody and harmony together and you learn, right, how music is interwoven. It's, it opens like a whole different world when you add in the left hand, right? Um, I feel like in this house, right, this church, we have like a real vision for what it means for God to live like fully in us, right, for us to live in Christ for God to live fully in us. So I don't think anyone in this house who's a part of this church is sitting here thinking, I'm here on Sunday to get my dose of encouragement, like my dose of like self-help because Jesus is like this accessory in my life. I feel like if you're in this house, you recognize that Jesus is all in all. Like what he calls for us to do is take up our cross and follow him, right? We die to our flesh. We die to our own lives. And we say, I'm gonna exchange my life, which is pretty screwed up, right messed up by sin and I'm going to exchange it for your life and when we do that we're covered in the righteousness of Christ or right? we repent of our sins and we turn our lives over to God we're covered in his righteousness then his spirit comes to dwell within us and he leads us and guides us like in this house we believe you can hear God's voice you can be guided by him he has ordered your steps he's ordered the steps of a righteous man and you can be guided by him daily when Jesus said for those who believe they will heal the sick they will raise the dead they will deliver the oppressed we actually believe he meant that we don't believe there are superstar spiritual people who do the Jesus stuff we believe we've all been called to do the Jesus stuff all of us and so I feel like in this house right there, there's this vision God's giving us higher vision And for many of you in this room, you have a higher vision of very specific things. Right now, you're in a season where God's calling you further up and further in into very specific things. Maybe it's just an awareness of how much your life can produce. Maybe up to this point, you've been surviving. And God's really inviting you into this place where you can see, like, you don't have to just survive. Like, you're not given many years on earth. But when you partner with God, you can produce amazing things with your life even with very few tools. He can take something that seems small and seems hidden, and he can give that a platform, either for many to see, or he can use it in such a way that it has a ripple effect. It's powerful. When you have the eternal in mind, he is not going to waste that. He's going to do eternal things through you, things that have eternal impact. So for some of you, you're getting a higher vision of what your life can produce. Um, for some of you... Um, you're getting a higher vision of your place for your place of work. But it's not just where you go to get a paycheck, but it's your mission field. Like you're actually beginning to see with Jesus' eyes the people that are there, the people you used to really, really get irritated with. You're realizing, wow, God has a plan for their life. And He's placed me as light and darkness for a reason. You're getting a higher vision of where you work, where you live. For some of you, you're getting a higher vision of what it means to parent. Like, we're not just keeping kids alive. (laughs) Or we're not just raising kids that we can, like, brag on so we can feel better about ourselves. Come on, parents. You know what I'm talking about. But we can actually raise kids who are, like, giant killers (laughs) and revivalists and, like, they believe from a very young age in what God can do, and they do it. Like, we can raise kids that know the God of the universe intimately. Like, that's a powerful thing. Like, this day isn't so much about what I can post on Pinterest that looks perfect. Like, my kids are having revelation of Jesus. That's awesome. Some of you, I can, you know, I have two kids who are now in the sanctuary during sermons. So I only have one kid left I can tell stories on. <laughs> but there was one day, it's been a few months ago, Dane, our nine-year-old, oh, he just turned 10, our 10-year-old, he said, Mom, he said, I, I, My number two goal in life is to get strong enough that I can beat up Luke before I turn 18. the law applies. Dean Wright, I want to, and I said, okay, Um, what's your number one goal? (laughs) That's number two. What's your number one goal? And he says, to tell the whole world about Jesus, of course. (laughs) Yeah, but there is a contradiction, right? (laughs) I'm not the only one who's disturbed by the juxtaposition of those two goals, but he's got it. Like, of, of course, it's to tell the whole world about Jesus. Like, that's a that's a that's a parenting win. Whether I made a dinner from scratch that night or not. <laughs> parenting win. God's giving us a higher vision of what it means to parent. Um, kids. Maybe God's giving you a higher vision of that you can really love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, despitefully use you. Maybe God's giving you a higher vision of forgiveness. Like it's not just like something like I've gotta do because I'm a Christian, but He's actually creating capacity in you where you actually want to see someone's life taken over the presence of God, and you're actually rooting for them, even though they've been destruction for you. Right? For some of you in the house, maybe the higher vision you're getting is um, not just wanting random acts of God, but you're really contending for specific things. You're not just sitting that passively saying, God, God can do the miraculous. Right? But you're actually—he's actually putting your heart to contend for specific people to be healed. He's putting your heart to contend for very specific things, and he's stirring you up to not be satisfied with just saying, "Well, God does great things." But like, he's stirring you up to partner with him to see those things happen, and he's showing you your role in contending to see those things happen. For some of you. God's really stirring you up because you're seeing the need for people to be delivered. Right? You're looking around our city and community and you're saying, man, there's oppression. And God has given his people power for deliverance through Jesus Christ that people could be delivered from. Listen, we live in an area where people have a scarcity mentality, there's a mentality of just good enough surviving. How many of you feel that often? People aren't dreaming. People aren't saying, like, what could be? It's like, I've got enough for me and mine. Let's not rock the boat. And I believe that God's really calling his church, stirring up his church to have big vision, to understand, like, he is our source. Everything else is just a resource, so I don't have to live in fear. I don't have to live just surviving and holding tightly to everything I have. I can hold loosely, because in him there's more. And not just stuff, but, like, I can love generously because in him there's more. I, I can show kindness. I can pray for those who persecute me. Right? I'm not using, I don't want to use up strength on that person. Right? That's survival mode. I only have so much strength for today. And we all feel that occasionally. But when we go back to Jesus and we behold him, we realize like there's a never ending well of strength. When God gives us a higher vision of things, It requires us believing him, right? We've got to stir up faith, we begin to believe, and then out of belief, we begin to act. It requires some action on our part. Everything we do, physically, has been in our thought process for a while. We don't just randomly act, right? So if I'm behaving badly today, which there have been days, (laughs) if I'm behaving badly, if I can be honest before the Lord, I need to go and say, God, what's been in my heart? What have I been beholding? What have I been dwelling on? Because what I've been dwelling on is producing actions now. Right? The Bible says, where does sin come from? It says sin starts what? It starts in your heart. It starts with thoughts. And once that you've pondered on those things, those things then mature and they become the actions that we do. Well, the same is true for righteousness, right? Right? So if I want to be a forgiving person, if I, if I feel like I lack a capacity for, to forgive, right and have mercy for people, what do I need to do? I need to begin to behold that in Jesus. It's good for me to read accounts of believers. Who've done incredibly merciful things. Um, that picture of the young man who forgave the woman who um, shot his brother. I know it's, you know, people have all kinds of complexity to it, and I'm not gonna say there isn't. I'm just saying, no matter what else happened in that picture, why did it get shared so often? Like, cause we can't imagine doing that, right? We can't imagine. It's hard for us to imagine ourselves doing what that person did, but we want to, right? Something in us says, yeah. That's what it looks like. We just forget sometimes until we see it writ large. So it creates, you, what you're beholding creates action. So God's stirring up vision for higher things. And then that vision, once you begin to believe, God, I hear you, I believe you, then it takes steps of action. Here's the problem. Often those first steps we take have hardly any melody in them. just like your first lessons in piano. And often we stop right there. We believe that God has said, hey, I want to heal the sick. And we step out to pray for someone. And maybe things don't go exactly how we thought they should go. Maybe we feel like, man, I felt really awkward praying. I've never done that before. Right? There's very little melody in the first actions of obedience. And so many people stop right there. I screwed up, it wasn't good enough. We have a higher vision for say how to parent our kids and so we decide, man I wanna talk to my kids more about Jesus and we have those conversations and our kids eyes are glazed over and we feel like maybe we even explained it badly and we think I'll leave that for their Sunday school teachers because (laughs) that didn't go awesome, right? The first steps don't have a whole lot of melody in them. You wanted to practice kingdom tools and where you could have used anger and manipulation and shame to control a situation. Instead, you went in with love and honesty that's kind and mercy, and you did really good for the first half hour. <laughs> and then it all went south. And think I'm just not good at that. That was miserable. I know how to do shame. I know how to be a victim or the bad guy, or the rescuer. I don't know how to be healthy and powerful in the moment. And I tried, and I'm embarrassed, it was bad. How many of you can relate to what I'm talking about? The first steps don't have much melody in them. So you can quit and never get to the vision of playing like Shanna, and you, will for the rest of your life, play like me. (laughs) Or you can decide. This is what first steps look like. I heard him. I believe him. I can't see the melody yet. I'm not doing it very good yet. But if I keep going, the next time gets better. If I keep going, I will become more like him. If I keep going, at some point there will be mastery. And then he will teach me a new thing. Right? And here's what God is saying the whole time. Child, don't give up. I know what you don't know. I know the melody and I can hear it. It is there. <laughs> I can hear it. And you'll be so glad you didn't quit. You'll be so glad you didn't quit. 2 Corinthians 3:12 through 18. Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened and to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. How many of you can remember when you had the veil over your eyes? And then there was a moment where it was like, oh my word, all of this makes sense. This is true. How many of you, could you just, just to give people encouragement, would you raise your hands? Those of you that remember that moment, the, the veil whew, got moved away. Okay, good, cool. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' teachings, their hearts are covered with the veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Who can see and reflect the glory of the Lord? Who can see and reflect the glory of the Lord? All of those that have had the veil removed who believed in Christ can see and they can reflect the glory of God. What is possible? You can see and reflect the glory of God. Is it possible that I can master piano? Yes, but I will have to go back and try. (laughs) I will have to go back and try. What's possible doesn't always get done. But it is possible for you, if you've put your faith in Christ, to see the glory of God in the land of the living. It is possible if you have put your faith in Christ to understand and see the glory of God. Let that sink in. So that all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect. I can see his glory and I can reflect his glory. The goodness of God that I have seen, I can reflect. It is possible. And the Lord, who is Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. And so, as I allow myself to have time, just like today, we have time to worship together, I can focus on Him. I can give him that time or I can be distracted, right? All of us know, right? I can either take time to see his glory or I cannot make time to see his glory. And when I see his glory, I can make a choice to believe him and reflect his glory, believing that he will strengthen what he wants to do, that he will empower what he wants to do, or I can make a choice to, like Moses, put a veil over it. But if I make a choice to say, I'm going to see your glory, I'm going to reflect your glory, as I follow him in this, what happens? I become more and more like him. When God is calling us up to higher things, it takes practice. Why? Because they're not our virtues yet. But what are your internal virtues? They're the things that you've practiced over and over again until you do them without thinking. When you see swimmers, Olympic swimmers, right, they get in water and they're not thinking about, oh, left hand, right hand, (laughs) left hand, right hand. They're not thinking about any of that. They're not counting seconds until the wall where they have to flip and turn. They intuitively know where the wall is and they turn. Why? They have practiced for so many thousands and thousands of hours that it takes no thought process at all. They know where a wall is in a 50 meter pool and a 100 meter pool. They know where the wall is, they don't count it out. Some of you in the house are runners. When you first started running, right? That first quarter mile, you had to think about how you're going to finish it. Right? I can do it. Keep lifting my leg. Keep moving forward. My body won't die. I feel like my heart's going to explode, but it won't. Right? You talk yourself through the first quarter mile, first half mile, whatever. But once you've been running for a while, I mean, the runners in the room that I know of who are runners, they were smiling when I said quarter mile, because what's a quarter mile? Running a quarter mile doesn't take any thought process at all because you've done it so much. And so as we behold his glory and we reflect his glory and we are practicing the melody, what happens? We become more and more like him. And that stuff we had to think about, that stuff we had to pray through, that stuff we had to contend for, I mean, it's just, it's a second nature now. Don't even have to think about it anymore. It's who I am because I have become like him, right? As I've been in his presence, beholding him, his glory, I've become like him. And now he can call me to higher things because I've mastered these things. Shanna, who's a great piano player, some of you don't know this, but like, I could say to Shanna, too high, <laughs> which is what most music is for me, too high. Um, and she will just on the spot transpose it down. She need music. Just in her mind, she just transposes it down. Now I don't know about you. If you know about music, know like how hard that is. That's, and it can be any key. I don't know, two sharp, one flat. I don't know how it goes. But yeah, she can hit the key I need. Cause she just does it in her head. It's Nothing. She went on from piano, played saxophone, all kinds of stuff. Right. Why? Because once you've mastered something in an area, your capacity is big and you have room for more. You've realized you can do hard things. One of the most difficult things I think right now in our culture, especially for like Gen X, um, millennial generation, my kids' generation coming up, people have forgotten they can do hard things. And so like we carry these loads and we're like, I'm so, so hard. Listen, listen, (laughs) <laughs> my grandma when she was growing up laundry like right now I've got to do laundry so I'm like oh, laundry feels heavy um, she had to do it in a bucket <laughs> like with an actual washboard and so after half hour your one shirt is done and now you've got to hang it and dry it and once it's dry you've got to press it so you can look like you are a higher class than you are come on that one shirt was like a day, just being real. And you know how, why there was water in the bucket? Because she had gone down to the creek and gotten it out herself, right? She grew up under the depression. There were years they farmed out their kids. You just went and live with somebody else because we can't feed all these kids. I don't know, like you hear, and then they fought in World War II. You hear the story of her life, and you're like, no wonder you guys went to Wyoming and saw land. It had been government land that nobody had ever farmed. And you figured out how to irrigate it and farm it. I think if you did that today, people would be like, you're insane. Where's my water grant? Where's my, you know what I'm saying? Like, she learned very young, I can do hard things. When we allow ourselves to behold God, His glory, right? And then we reflect His glory, we act on that. After a while, we become like Him in those things, and now we're ready for the next things. And we learn we can do hard things. There are people, people, not even just groups of people, there are individuals who are changing whole nations. Because somewhere along the line, they believed. They could do hard things in Jesus. And it didn't start with changing the nation. It started with first steps, learning a melody. And then they could add the left hand. <laughs> and then they could do more. We can do hard things. So if we go back to Second Corinthians. We see Moses, what happened? If you're familiar with the story, if you're not familiar with the story, in the Old Testament, Moses leads the children of Israel out of Egypt. They've been captive slaves in Egypt for like 400 years. And God sends him to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt through the desert to the promised land, which is modern-day Israel. Um, As they're going through the desert, there's Mount Sinai. And God told Moses, come up here, I want to talk to you. We're going to have a conversation. And so Moses goes up to the mountain of the Lord, Mount Sinai, and God speaks to him. He's there for like 40 days. God gives him the Ten Commandments, speaks with God. He comes down from the mountain. There were multiple times he went up to the mountain. When he would come down from the mountain, what would happen? His hair was white all of a sudden. He was glowing. People were like, you've been in the presence of God. You're glowing. And guess what? Those terrible people that he had to lead through the desert, when he was glowing, they were super obedient. When he was glowing, they were like, okay, whatever. Sorry. Sorry for that golden calf and that thing and that other thing, right? Like, what do we do next? While he was glowing, they would obey him. But then, as he was away from the mountain and down from the mountain leading the people, that glow would fade. So Moses figured out, when I go up to the mountain of God and I'm glowing, when I come down, I need to put a veil on. That way they won't know when it's fading. (laughs) But they also didn't get to see the glory. Right? They caught a glimpse of it when he came down. But the glory of God was obscured with the veil because he felt like I need the veil for when it's fading and the people stop following. Paul says we, with unveiled faces, reflect the glory of God. We, with unveiled faces, reflect the glory of God. We don't have to live in a way where we fear that, man, I could be full of the presence of God, but then, you know, I'll have to wait 10 more years for the next revival and get filled up again. What is it saying? You can keep beholding him. You can make decisions to stay in his presence. You can make decisions to make room for him and behold his glory. It doesn't have to fade. You can live in that place of being filled up with him, the glory of God, And you can keep reflecting his glory. Inside, I'm waving a hanky. (laughs) I know we're quiet people, but that's crazy that that God gives us access to himself in that way that we can come near to him in his presence. We can do it in our homes. We can do it here in church and worship. We can do it with friends. We can take time and just say, God, I just want to behold you. I just want to take time and be in your presence. And this sense in 2 Corinthians is there's this like completely unveiled openness before God where I come boldly before him knowing he already knows all the stuff that's not super awesome yet. He already knows. So I don't have to worry about that. And he is saying, come boldly, come boldly, come. I can't reflect his glory until I've been in his glory. Are you with me? So we can like the stuff that Jesus did, but we don't reflect the glory until we've been in the glory. I've actually got to take time and behold him and not so I can get to the next step of doing the fun stuff. Of being a better person, of whatever it is, healing, whatever it is. The first step is the most important step because that's where I have relationship. And then out of that relationship, I'm not sucked out. I'm I'm not drained all the time by walking in the higher ways He's calling me to. Right? Because I'm being filled with His presence. Ephesians says, keep being filled, keep being filled. So I sit in his glory, I behold his glory, and when I leave his presence, I'm reflecting his glory. Listen, if doing the Jesus stuff, if you're getting weary in well-doing, let me say it this way, if you're getting weary in well-doing, then you're moving to reflecting before you've had enough beholding. Are you with me? Or you're beholding, and then you're going out and reflecting, way beyond the capacity you created in the beholding. Are you with me? Jesus frequently said, I gotta leave you Yahoos behind for a minute and just be with the Father. It would say he would heal many. He would do all these amazing things and he said, listen, you guys are in that boat. Nobody's in my boat. (laughs) And he would push them off and he would go by himself because he needed to behold for a while. He needed to be in communion with the Father for a while. So when doing the Jesus stuff gets heavy, what's this a signal of? I've made the doing the thing and not the being the thing. Because when I've been in his glory, the reflecting his glory happens on its own. I partner with it, but it's happening out of a reservoir of what I have from the relationship. Are you you with me? And so if I'm not in the being... Now I'm going to start applying all kinds of human wisdom for how to reflect. Well, how do we heal the sick and raise the dead and deliver the oppressed? If I'm not (laughs) beholding in his glory, now I'm I'm not going to be applying spiritual wisdom to how to do these things. I'll be doing it out of human wisdom. How many of you know you can do a lot of good works that are super yucky (laughs) and have all kinds of weird or bad fruit? because I'm trying to do the right thing, but I'm doing it out of human wisdom, not out of being led by the Spirit and doing what the Spirit says. And so it's heavy, and I'm producing weird fruit. Are you with me? My kids need to experience the glory of God through me, not because I'm applying a bunch of human wisdom to how to get them to think the right thing. They need to see it in me because I have been with Him and I'm reflecting it. Moses didn't have to try to reflect the glory. It naturally happened when he had been in the presence of God. And so beholding, if you feel like God's calling you to a higher vision, it's gotta start here with being still and beholding. This is where you learn the melody. This is where you learn the melody. (laughs) And then we go out and we reflect and we do. And it may not sound exactly like how we heard it in his presence. But if we won't give up, every single time, there's more melody. Are you with me? All right, one last thing. Jeremiah 2, 12 through 13. Listen, Jeremiah is not an easy read. It's not for the faint of heart. Jeremiah, um, he's been prophesying to Israel, turn from your sins, turn to God, turn from your sins, turn to God. They aren't doing it. And so terrible things are happening. And um, how many of you have been there before where you're like, have you seen that one picture? I wish I had it to show you. There's a picture, it's like this whole, there's like thousands of Germans. And Hitler's coming by. It's right at the rise of the um, Third Reich. Hitler's coming by and the whole sea of people is doing this, and there's one guy who's like this, (laughs) you know? Um, And that picture is so powerful, because it's like, man, there's sometimes you gotta be that guy. In in our culture, there's sometimes you gotta be that guy. I'm not gonna acquiesce to what I know is wrong, right? I'm not gonna, anyway, um, (laughs) but in Israel, here's Jeremiah, He's that one guy who's like, I'm not going to go along with the shenanigans because I have heard from God. And sometimes it's hard to be that guy. So you see that reflected in Jeremiah in the follow-up book or his lamentations when everything does go to pot, just like he said it was going to. Um, he just lived, a, he was in a hard time. He had a hard job, right? But he was a righteous man. And so he writes this, Jeremiah two, twelve through 13, to a rebellious Israel. He says, the heavens are shocked at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water. And they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. I love that. I, I don't think I'd recognize until this verse, and I've read this verse before, um, just this, the living water theme. There was that expressed in the Old Testament. You know, there's the water that came from the rock and all that, but I'm the living water, and they've chosen (laughs) these broken cisterns. It's a powerful thing. So what's happening? If you live in the desert country, in an arid country, um, and you don't live by a spring, you have to have a cistern to survive. And you typically make it out of stone because water's not going to evaporate as much there, especially if you've got some shade for it. And so what happens? You have to haul water from very far away, and you put it in your cistern, And your cistern holds the water to feed your animals, to feed your family. They're incredibly important, right? Um, It's a big bummer if your cistern cracks. (laughs) Because you have just hauled that water from who knows where, and now it's leaking. And it's leaking into sand, which means the sand is never going to, it's not going to get saturated. You're going to lose all of it. And he's saying, I'm the living water, but you're drinking from cracked cisterns. Like, you have... You don't, cisterns are hard to build. You don't build a cistern next to a stream, because you have the stream, right? He says not only are you not drinking from the stream, you built these cisterns and they're cracked, and you're relying on cracked cisterns to give you the water, the capacity you need to do what you need to do, and it's not working. And it's right next to the living water I've given you. So just that picture, as we finish up today, and this idea of beholding, as believers, when we're in God's presence, that's where the living water comes from. Right? When Jesus is out of you, is going to pour rivers of living water, when I don't feel that happening. Right? When I'm with people and I'm like, serves you right. You know what I'm saying? like, <laughs> come on. I am not the only one in the room who realizes my thoughts are not Jesus' thoughts right now. I'm not going to make you raise your hands. <laughs> right? When my thoughts about that person aren't his thoughts, what's happened? My, my well is running dry. I haven't been to the spring nearly enough for what I need to do right now. Right? Right? that spring of living water, it is fed by him in his presence. You're the vine, attached. He, he is the vine, we're the branches. If you don't stay attached, there's no nutrients, right? And so this idea of being in his presence and beholding, this is where the springs of living water come from. This is where the glory comes from. And for a time, you can store things in a cracked cistern and pretend like it's gonna be okay but God is saying, why would you abandon me? Why would you not be in my presence when I can fill you up? How many of you I'm talking about, there are times we actually avoid God. Have you ever done that? You're actually avoiding him. <laughs> and I don't know what all that is about in our flesh, but there's times where even you could even come to church because you're like, I need to come to church. I want to be committed. I want to be faithful, blah, 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 right? I can come to church and you can tell that your heart is closed to worship. You don't have access to me today. You're not going to take me anywhere that feels like something today. (laughs) You're not going to move any mountain in me today. How many of you have done that? Listen, I have come and preached a sermon and realized my heart, God, help my heart. Come on. Our flesh and our spirit are at war and it will be like that until the day we die. But listen, our flesh can't win. When we're in God's presence, when we have springs of water, our spirit will constantly tell our flesh what to do. We have to, we have to position our hearts. Every time we get a chance, I just need more of you. I mean, I need more of you in the car. I need more, saturating our lives with his presence so we can be beholding his glory all the time, as much as possible. Paul says things like, I pray without ceasing. Like he's constantly turning his mind back to the Lord, right? Constantly turning his mind back to the Lord. Praying without ceasing. There's some, I don't even realize I'm doing it, but I'm singing worship songs around the house sometimes. And um, my children are less than pleased with my voice. Very sad. They don't like my food, they don't like my voice. But I know they love me, I think. Yeah. When you, just, how you, you, when, when, you, when you keep turning your heart back to him, all of a sudden, it, there's like this exchange that's happening. Like Paul says, with, without ceasing, we're constantly making, you're vacuuming the house, right? And you're, right? What a mighty God, we, it's always 70 songs that I'm singing, right? <laughs> Why? Because we're positioning our heart to be in relationship with him. We're beholding his glory, and now we can reflect his glory. Trying to do the Jesus stuff without Jesus will ruin your life. <laughs> Trying to do kingdom things in kingdom ways without Jesus will embitter you towards Jesus. We need him. And so I just encourage you, as we're ending, um, worship team, come on up. Prayer team, come on up. As we're ending, I just feel like there's a lot of stuff that God's stirring up in people in this room. There's visions of what you have that God can do and you're believing him and I just feel like he's saying, listen, listen, you got to come to me. Behold, behold, behold and you'll reflect. You won't have to worry about it. Behold and you'll reflect. Let yourself be my presence. Don't just go through the motions of it. Open your heart to me with unveiled openness. Sit in my presence and learn of me Talk to me. Listen to my voice speaking to you. And so we have a chance to practice that. If you would stand, we have a chance to practice that now because we're going to come to the Lord and worship. And you are welcome to come and respond. Maybe you'd like to pray with someone. There's folks here on each side. Um, Sarah's in back to pray as well. Um, Maybe you just want to come up front and worship or in your seat worship. Maybe God stirs you up to minister as we're worshiping. But let's take some time in his presence. We have time. Let's take some time in his presence to behold him, to give him a place of honor, and to respond to him. Amen?
1: Doesn't stand a chance when I'm standing in your love, my fear, doesn't stand a chance when I'm standing in your love, my fear, doesn't stand a chance when I'm standing in your love. No longer has a place to hide And I am not a captive to the lies I'm not afraid to leave my past behind No, I won't be shaken No, I won't be shaken My fears doesn't stand a chance when I'm standing in your love, my fear Doesn't stand a chance when I'm standing in your love, my fear Doesn't stand a chance when I'm standing in your love. There's power. Yes, Lord there's power that can break off every chain there's power that can empty out a grave there's resurrection power that can save there's power in your name there's power in your name there's power There's power that can break off every chain. There's power
2: that can empty out a grave. There's resurrection
1: power that can save. There's power in your name. There's power in your name. My fear, my fear. Doesn't stand a chance when I'm standing in your love, my fear. Doesn't stand a chance when I'm standing in your love, my fear. Doesn't stand a chance when I'm standing in your love.
3: good. Oh, you are good. Good. Oh, you are good. You're good. Oh, you are good. You're good. Oh, the king of my heart be the wind inside my sails the anchor in the waves oh he is my song let the king of my heart be the fire inside my veins the echo of my days oh he is my song let the king let the King of my heart be the wind inside my sails, the anchor in the ways, oh, He is my song. Let the King of my heart be the fire inside my veins, the echo of my days, oh, He is my song. You are good. Good. oh, you are good. You're good, oh, you are good. You're good, oh, 'cause you are good. you are good you are good, oh, you're never gonna. Last. Never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let you never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let you never gonna let me down. You are good, you're good.
1: I see T'was grace that taught My heart to fear And grace my fears Relief How precious did That grace appear The hour Amazing Grace. The Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope, secure. He will my shield and portion be. As long as life endures My chains are gone, I've been set free My God, my Savior, has ransomed me And like a flood, His mercy reigns Unending love, amazing grace The earth shall soon dissolve like snow The sun forbear to shine God who called me here below will be forever. like a flood his mercy reigns unending love amazing
0: So good, he's so good, his presence is so good. Some of you in the past, maybe months or even years, you just had a revelation of God, it's so powerful. There's things he's calling you further up into, higher vision for things, and there's a high revelation of him. And you're walking it out, Um, maybe it's two steps forward, one step back. I just want to encourage you, he hears the melody. (laughs) Don't give up, don't get weary while doing, don't give up, make time for him, behold his glory. And everything will flow out of that. The reflection of his glory will flow out of that. But he can hear the melody. (laughs) You take steps out. You put effort in. There are times if you've made time to be in God's presence and everything seems to go wrong. He hears the melody. He is hearing the melody even when you can't. Don't give up. Don't give up. He says, child, I know what you don't know. You'll be so thankful one day. (laughs) I know what you don't know. You'll be so thankful one day. Thank you, Father. In this room, I just encourage you as we go. We're going to pray. But I want to encourage you. Minister before you go. Encourage somebody. Hug somebody. Maybe someone's been in your heart. You feel like moving. God has a word for them. Take a minute. Take a minute and take a step to reflect his glory before you go. Listen, people can't be too encouraged, really. They can't be too encouraged. <laughs> There's a song I want to teach you real quick from the 70s. Some of you, if you know it, you've got to sing aloud because you'll be like one of five in the room. But it's the good one Up, Beholding from the book of Isaiah. Shanna, I told her to dig it out. She probably hasn't heard it in 20 years, so you'll, you'll see how awesome she is. Here we go i see the lord i see the lord he is high
2: and lifted up and his train fills the temple he is high and lifted up and his train fills the temple the angels cry holy the angels cry holy the
0: kings would come in, you'd know who the greater dignitary was because of the length of their train. So Isaiah sees God coming in the temple, and
2: his train is filling the whole thing (laughs) because he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords, right? I see the Lord.
0: Kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Love you.